live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. We are going to get you into the weekend over the next two hours on the Sports Huddle. Take you up until 6 o'clock and get you into what should be a big-time sports weekend, particularly in our neck of the sports world here in Central Virginia. We got a lot going on, and we've actually got, more on the national landscape, some controversial sports topics out there which are always good for sports talk radio as well and look the one in our area is ongoing as we speak with espn college game day in harrisonburg on the campus of james madison university third time that they have been there some of us fondly remember one of them when the richmond spiders went in there and spoiled the party kyle laletta had a huge day for the spider offense and Richmond beat JMU. Now, look, by the time Richmond beat JMU, ESPN had totally broken down its game day set, and Harrisonburg was in their rearview mirror. They were on their way to their next stop, and the party was great at JMU, both on Friday afternoon, not to the volume that it is today, if you happen to watch any of Pat McAfee's show and the other clips that they've done from JMU. They're swarming that campus today. I remember back in... I guess it was 2015 when Richmond was there for college game day. The Friday wasn't nearly as big. In fact, I enjoyed the Friday maybe even a little bit more because you could walk around a lot more freely and see things and a little bit of the the behind-the-scenes setup and all of that. That is no longer the case, at least not today. They're swarming with anywhere from 3,500 to 5,000 people on that campus this afternoon, and it's only going to swell tomorrow uh, when college game day hits the air. Matt had a great interview with Reese Davis in the 3 o'clock hour on Border to Border about college game day being in Harrisonburg at JMU, the whole JMU controversy where their waiver appeal has been denied now four times. I would say that is four and the final time that the waiver appeal has been denied and they won't be bowl eligible and we can certainly get more into that topic I am neither the, uh, what did Matt call himself, the JMU homer that he is, nor am I a JMU detractor. I am much less passionate about this, probably because my day-to-day life does not become impacted by JMU. I love what we do with JMU, and I love the access that we get to JMU, and I love the people at JMU. But I have just seen this from a bigger picture standpoint And it does not necessarily send me out to the ledge or off the cliff that their waiver appeal was denied. There's a rule in place. They're abiding by the rule and the guidelines. And they've got a couple of more months to go to finish out the two-year probationary period. I understand there can be exceptions to rules. And had the NCAA made an exception to JMU, I would have been fine with that. As well, I I get it. They have done everything right. I was talking with somebody today who asked me why I really thought they went FBS as opposed to being the big fish in the small pod, and I think it's been very obvious by the way they have handled their business. They've done everything right and everything correctly, and they're reaping the rewards on the field, on the court, 
all of that. But it goes deeper than that, and I think Reese Davis mentioned it as well, that the sole argument cannot be because they are 10 and 0. Certainly that's a consideration, but that's not not only the sole argument, it's probably not only the primary argument. I don't know. I did not see, you know, when they when they requested the waiver, what they put put in there as their their points of evidence and their points of information. But I think they're doing everything else correctly as well. This is just a time thing that when the two-year period that they knew they were getting into when they signed up for it was over, that they will be able to to move forward. Uh, That's just kind of the way I feel about it. Again, I'm not as passionate about it as Matt is or any JMU fan would and should be. I get it. I certainly understand why you want to be in a major bowl this year. You may never get this opportunity again, although I actually think JMU probably will get this opportunity again. I think they're in that good of shape with their athletic department. They're going to have new leadership at the top uh, because um, they're having uh, Jeff Bourne is retiring as athletic director, but I do think the momentum is in place. I think they have done a very good job with facilities and budget and recruiting and all of that, and they're on the right path to being where they belong at the FBS level. Um, And I just do see the bigger picture here. Again, I don't want to sit on the fence because at the end of the day, if you totally said which way would you go, I would have left the guideline in place, and I would not have granted the waiver. Again, not as impassionate about it as some other people, and had the NCA said, look, you know, you really have done everything right and beyond what we have asked, uh, we are going to give you this waiver and do it. But I do think the bigger picture there shows all these other schools that could have been and will be in similar situations, and how do you deal with them? I actually think Jacksonville State kind of um, joining themselves at the hip with JMU probably did not help JMU in this case. I I just can't imagine that Jacksonville State was in the same stratosphere as JMU in everything they have done in making this transition from FCS to FBS, let alone their record, which is still a good record. They're 7-3. and They would love to go to a bowl game, um, but I just think that probably hurt JMU a little bit that the NCA just grouped them together and made one overriding decision. And Reese brought this up, and he brought it up as kind of a negative to the NCA, but I'm not so sure uh, that it is. And that is, what do you tell all these other schools? Other schools who could have had this same opportunity and didn't, and maybe that's on them for not pursuing it, and other schools that could be coming down the path. Now, the one thing I will say, and I'm going to kind of get off of this topic because there are other controversial topics out there, and I think at the end of the day, tomorrow's going to be great for James Madison, and you're going to see all the signs, and everybody's going to be you know, throwing the figurative knives at the NCAA, and that is all well and good, and that is going to make for a great show tomorrow, and I think JMU will win its football game tomorrow against Appalachian State. I don't know if they're going to destroy them as much as Matt thinks they're going to destroy them, but I do think they will win the game tomorrow. In fact, I think they're going to win the last two. I think they're going to be 12-0. and 0 when they go to a bowl, which I also think is going to happen. We have crunched the numbers. Uh, I read them directly out of David Teal's column in the Times-Dispatch a few days ago. It would be a long shot for there to be enough eligible teams to go to bowl games that it would keep JMU on the outside looking in. Uh, It looks like they're going to get to go somewhere. I also think their players and their coaches – Save what Kurt Signetti said today with Pat McAfee. I think he was using that as a rallying cry for his team to play even better tomorrow against App State uh, when he said we've got a chip on our shoulder. It's going to be an even bigger chip on our shoulder. But I think he's done a tremendous job with his people of compartmentalizing this. And football players and football coaches are great 
at that, to just focus in on what they can control. And what they can control is winning two more games and then likely a bowl game, and they can control that, and they can have the most memorable year in James Madison football history if they do that. So there's still an awful lot for them to accomplish, and I think Coach Signetti is one of the best at zeroing in on that. It's why his record is so remarkably good, and I think his players follow his lead, and I definitely think that they're doing that. Um, So it's going to be a great scene tomorrow. It already is this afternoon, and I hope they have a great time with it in in Harrisonburg. The one uh, rule change that is coming that I do think – this rule has become antiquated that JMU is not playing under is they've changed the entrance fee from FCS to FBS. It used to be pocket change. It was like $5,000 in addition to meeting all those guidelines that were put in front of James Madison. The, the payment had nothing to do with it. Now they've changed that to a $5 million entrance fee from FCS to FBS. So if you can, you can cut that check – for $5 million, you're already proving that you have an athletic budget that is stable, it's on solid footing, you can handle the increased costs if you can pay that initial $5 million. So probably the list of requirements shrinks because of that, and I would think and hope that certainly the time frame shrinks for that. If you still want to make sure teams are ready to go and schools are ready to go, you could still give them a year, perhaps, and maybe it's even a year with an addendum that we will review this three-quarters of the way through the year, and if you check all the boxes, uh, we can make an exception, and that would be during the football season to do that. I, I don't know, but I do know that moving forward, it is an antiquated rule, it needs to be reduced at the very least and maybe even done away with if you play a full FBS schedule with maybe one FCS game like many of the teams do. The $5 million entry fee, I think, changes all of that. When JMU made its application, they were still under the old guidelines, which was a $5,000 application, and then probably much stiffer standards uh, to be eligible for bowl games after two years. Uh, So just kind of my thought process on that one. Again, if the NCAA had ruled in their favor, I would have been very happy for them and would have said, okay, the NCAA showed a kind heart, and they did this, and I'm happy for JMU, and I hope they go and roll in a bowl game, a New Year's Six uh, Day bowl game, whatever the case may be. Like I said, on the other hand, what they actually did, I also do understand where they're coming from on that one, and maybe I'm just the grumpy old guy who has the antiquated, outdated opinions. I don't know, but I just kind of felt they knew what they signed up for here. They're doing everything the right way, and this probationary period is going to end at the end of this year, and then they can go about their business of trying to be a Sunbelt Conference champion and get to the best bowl game possible. All right, so that's one of the controversial sports stories that is out there today. Matt did a fantastic job of detailing it in the 3 o'clock hour. You can go back and listen to that, Border to Border, on our website, ESPNRichmond.com, and his interview with Reese Davis, who you will see on College Game Day from JMU tomorrow. The other two dramatic stories, controversial stories that are out there are the Bengals' injury to Joe Burrow, and that's devastating news for them because they have lost him for the year to that wrist injury. 
But the controversy there is that the Bengals never reported that injury to the NFL, which is in the bylaws, and it's something that they have really zeroed in on to make sure teams are indeed doing that. They talk about it with the owners every summer at the owners' meeting that you have got to be open and honest with those injuries for this to work. And now there's an NFL investigation into why the Bengals covered up Joe Burrow's wrist injury when clearly a couple days ago there was a video released and Burrow had a cast on that wrist. So there will be an investigation there. The Bengals could lose draft picks. They could be fined. I think those are the two penalties that are more than likely going to be handed down to the Bengals if indeed they do find them guilty. We'll get into more of that as we move along. And the other one is the continuing saga at Michigan where the Wolverines at the outset were kind of hell-bent on taking this thing as high up as they had to to refute the penalty of um, of, of the three-game suspension of Jim Harbaugh. They'd go all the way to the Supreme Court if they had to. And then er, all of a sudden they slammed on the brakes, made a U-turn. They said, you know, just kidding. On second thought, we'll accept the penalty, and we're going to fire another guy who we kind of learned has had some sort of role in this whole thing, Chris Partridge, their linebackers coach. So he's out. So now two coaches have been fired, or a coach and a staff member have been fired. A head coach has been put on suspension for three games, one of which he's already served, Maryland tomorrow, Ohio State next week, or the other two for Harbaugh. But in return, in the backroom negotiations, what Michigan got out of this was that the Big Ten would no longer pursue the investigation. So they are not going to be responsible for anything else that the Big Ten might have found or might not have found so they're out of the picture now that doesn't put the ncaa out of the picture they will continue their investigation and the big 10 could hand down more penalties pending on the big pending the ncaa investigation so this has become even a bigger story than we thought it was and any of the folks out there who thought this wasn't that big of a deal i think it's become that big of a deal i think you got to at least admit that two people have lost their jobs over it a coach has been suspended for three games there's been some what i would call backroom negotiations to make sure maybe the investigation doesn't go any further at least on the conference level it's still going to go further on the ncaa level so keep an eye on that one as well so like i said we've got some controversial stories going on out there today here's what else we've got going on on today's sports huddle Here's what's coming up on today's sports huddle. Just a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by our friends at the Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority. Boy, it was great to have Dennis Bickmeyer in the studio with us yesterday and to be able to partner with him and his team over there at the Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority and at the new Henrico Sports and Events Center as well, where we will be live on Monday, December 11th for Holiday Cheer and gear. We'll be right there. Uh, Dennis promised me it would be inside the Henrico Sports and Events Center just in case it's a little nippy and maybe snowing outside. But we'll have a very visible location. By we, I mean Matt Josephs and I will be broadcasting live throughout the afternoon from 3 until 6. And we are urging you, please come on by, see us, say hello, and bring some of that new sporting equipment for the youngsters. In the age range of 10 to 16, we'll take basketballs, baseballs, bats, soccer balls, lacrosse sticks, any kind of sports gear, and it'll be distributed by the Salvation Army Christmas Assistance Program. Again, and our show on that particular day, this is perfect timing, leads off to the first 
A-10 women's basketball game that will be played at the new Henrico Sports and Events Center with VCU playing a non-conference game against Delaware. Uh, for more on that and tickets to that, HenricoSEA.com is where to go. HenricoSEA.com. It'll be a perfect afternoon. Come on, come on by and see us, drop off some sports equipment, and then go see that college basketball game, uh, one of the first college basketball games in the new Henrico Sports and event center. I, I will tell you this. This is ironic, uh, and then I'll move on a little bit. So Dennis and Sean Robertson and I were talking yesterday, and Dennis brought this up that the guy who was really responsible for starting holiday cheering gear uh, for us and running it so successfully so many years was Greg Burton, who host, hosted the afternoon show um, on this radio station for, for many, many years. Uh, and Dennis actually challenged him yesterday to come by on December 11th and bring some sporting goods and bring some for both teams to, that are playing in that women's game tomorrow night because Greg is a Delaware or, or on December 11th because Greg is a Delaware grad. And they're playing the school that he works for now. Uh, Greg, of course, working at VCU. It's VCU against Delaware. And I actually saw Greg Burton last night at the Richmond Flying Squirrels Hot Stove League event with Sean Casey that was really a blast. It was a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And I saw Greg, and he had already heard from Dennis Bickmeyer, and Greg told me he's all in. He will do something uh, to help the cause on Monday, December 11th. I'm hoping maybe he'll stop by and be a part of it at least for a little bit. And I know he will be generous and bring by some sporting goods for uh, the folks at the Salvation Army Christmas assistance program all right so there you go all right that's river city rundown uh our partnership is full going right now with Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority, and we absolutely love that. I think you'll love our guests coming up on the show today here in just about 10 minutes. Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch is going to stop by, talk a little bit of ACC action, ACC football, ACC basketball as well, Virginia uh, with another easy win yesterday. Virginia Tech gets its first shot at a bowl game tomorrow against NC State. We'll kind of get Mike Barber's read on all of that. So we got a lot to catch up with there in the ACC world football and basketball with Virginia and Virginia Tech. So Mike Barber at 4.30 from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And at 5.30, the voice of the William & Mary tribe, my good friend Jay Colley, is going to join us. We will size up the Capital Cup, 134th edition between Richmond and William and & Mary. A lot on the line for the Spiders to include a conference championship and a likely uh, playoff berth when the field is announced on Sunday. William & Mary would like to do nothing more than knock the Spiders out of that contention. The season hasn't gone as well as the Tribe would have liked. It's going to be a winning season, but they certainly had much higher goals in mind than that. Still, should be a great day in Williamsburg tomorrow. Looking forward to catching up with Jay Colley. He joins us at 530. All right, back after the break, 420 on the Sports Auto, 1061 ESPN. Well, yesterday and last night, was really good for the Atlantic 10. The results in men's basketball last night couldn't have been any better yesterday afternoon and last night. St. Louis with a really impressive 10-point win over Wyoming, 79-69. Bills, Bills get to 4-0. Uh, that's in the Myrtle Beach tournament. Dayton came from behind and beat LSU, 70-67, to down there in the Charleston Classic. And at the Legends Classic at Barclays in Brooklyn, St. Bonaventure knocked off Oklahoma State 66-64. Those are the kind of results 
the Atlantic 10 needs in the non-conference portion of the schedule to hopefully get back to multiple, multiple bids in the A-10 tournament. Now, the news hasn't been as good yet today. I'll tell you who's really good, sneaky good, is Vermont. Uh, Knocked off St. Louis today, 78-68, up 15 at halftime. Uh, So the Catamounts of Vermont go to 4-0. They knock off St. Louis. Uh, Fordham beat Norfolk State, 77-64. And Dayton beat Rick Pitino and company, 88-81. So not quite as good so far today, but still pretty darn good with Fordham winning and Dayton with the win over St. John's. A lot of eyeballs on that one because of Rick Pitino. So that's a great start. And then there are some games tonight in the A-10 to keep an eye on. Davidson's playing East Tennessee State. Uh, So that's a good non-conference game on the road for um, Davidson. And St. Bonaventure gets Auburn tonight in that Legends Classic. And the other one to keep an eye on, UMass at home against Harvard. Obviously a rivalry game up there in New England. Harvard off to another typically good start at 3-0. and The Minutemen have won their first two games. Uh, that's kind of a crossroads A game, A-10 game tonight as well. And it's on UMass's home floor there at the Mullen Center. So good start for the Atlantic 10, and they'll just need to keep it going in these non-conference games and these neutral court tournaments. So that's the story on the Atlantic 10. How about the story on the ACC? Well, we're going to talk to a guy who's got his finger on the pulse of everything ACC, football and basketball, and particularly as it pertains to UVA and Virginia Tech. He's Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and he'll join us next on the Sports Huddle. Just past the bottom of the hour, 4 o'clock hour on a Friday afternoon, getting into the sporting weekend. Got a lot of great games going this weekend that we're previewing throughout the course of the afternoon today. Do some ACC talk during this segment. Mike Barber joins us from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, richmond.com. Follow him on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. Good afternoon, Mike. Uh, I was going to ask where are you, but I understand from my producer, Lewis, you're not quite sure, not necessarily where you are right now, but where you're going to be tomorrow huh no i think it'd be accurate to say i'm not sure where i am now either but (laughs) yeah um yeah it's a big weekend i mean i I think that you look at nc state going to virginia tech that's senior day for the Hokies. they've got a chance to get bowl eligible you've got brennan armstrong coming back uh then you've got virginia and everything that they're trying to rebound from uh hosting duke here uh in charlottesville and then you know the game that was sort of off the radar was the uh, the James Madison game, which I think is worth some uh, some attention. So um, I've got my the world is my oyster, right? I've got a lot of options this weekend. Well, I hope that siren in the background wasn't for you. You weren't kidding when you said you don't know where you are. I hope you're not uh, in any trouble there. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going on? These yeah, days. I love the sound effects of the background. That's awesome. Well, let me let me pick your brain a little bit here on Virginia Tech and the game tomorrow, and what you might expect from the Hokies in their first chance to actually be bowl eligible, and how much of an impact statement that could be for Brent Brent Pry as he tries to to build this thing in year two. Yeah, big picture, it's huge. Whether they get the win this weekend or next weekend, if they are to get to six wins be bowl eligible in year two. I know Tech fans kind of shrug and say, well, we expect to be bowl eligible every year, but that's a huge step in year two, and I think a really positive indication uh, of what's going on. And the fact that they started one and three, 
right, to get to this point shows improvement during the year. It shows coaching within the year that this team is getting better. Um, so I think just the big picture of it, if you can get to six wins, that is huge. Second of all, this weekend, you're playing at home where they've been really good. The crowds have been great. I think this is still a really good NC State team. Uh, I think it's kind of refound itself since they've gone back to Brendan Armstrong at quarterback and, and the threat of a, of a player that he is. Uh, that defense is maybe the second or third best in, in the ACC. I think Florida State is certainly the, the best defense. And then I think these guys are right there with Louisville to be the second-best defense in, in terms of having playmakers at every unit, their ability to take the ball away. So um, I think this Saturday would be a huge win to beat a really good NC State team. And then I think big picture, to get the six wins in year two under Brent Pry. I think that would be massive. Mike, where do you think or how do you think this thing turned around this year for them? As you mentioned, they started, well, with the win over Old Dominion. Then they were reeling on a three-game losing streak um, before they snapped that against Pitt. And as you said, got to the point where they're one game away from being bowl eligible. Yeah, I want to give a lot of credit to the coaches. I think they've done a nice job. But the biggest thing here that turned, they kind of fell butt backwards into, was the quarterback change. Right? Grant Wells got hurt. Tyron Drones comes in, and he has transformed the offense. Defenses had to account for his running. That opened things up in the throw game. He's developed as a downfield passer. I mean, he's thrown some great deep balls this season. Uh, and then because of all of that, the conventional, the traditional run game with Bashal Tootin has come along. And so um, I think they've done a lot of good things as coaches. I think they've pushed a lot of right buttons. But the biggest change, I think they sort of lucked into in that uh, the guy they thought was the quarterback and the best fit got hurt, and they were forced to go to a guy who, it turns out, was the right guy all along. Well, they've got two shots to get to that sixth win, as you said, NC State tomorrow and then at UVA to finish the season next week. So let's uh, transition into those Cavaliers. I, I, this is a bad way to say this, Mike, but what are they really playing for at this point and look they've been gritty and gutsy the win at north carolina fabulous near miss at louisville last thursday night uh what what's their focus for pretty much for duke this week we get virginia tech and the rivalry uh, next week but kind of what they're what they're grabbing onto here yeah i I think that you know and this is going to sound almost rude but i don't think they realize how bad they are and then it's because they're not that bad right like but their record is terrible. They're not having a good season. But you can go through the games, starting with JMU, Miami in overtime, mm-hmm. Louisville down to the – I mean, they've had so many close games, NC State when they played them. Um, I think they rightfully feel like, well, geez, if, if we're just a little bit sharper, we're going to experience victory. And, and I don't think that's far off. I don't think that's wrong. Um, yeah, you look at their record, this is a bad year. But – you look at their games and you say, okay, this team has gotten better and this team is competitive and this team, if it could stop shooting itself in the foot and having these really catastrophic mistakes, red zone turnovers, um, you know, big plays, defensive busts that lead to 60-yard runs, if you could take those away, you know, this team is in a much different place and I think that's the motivation. I think they believe they can win every Saturday. I think they've been in games and I think they look at these remaining games as – winnable, even though you and I might look at the records and say, well, geez, they're probably just going to get beat twice. I think they look at it and say, hey, these teams aren't any better than Louisville or NC State or JMU or any Miami or any of these teams that we've come down to the wire with. Mm-hmm. 
Does uh, Tony Elliott, do you think, feel better about, you know, where he's leading the program and maybe even just as importantly, does Cavalier Nation feel better about what they're seeing from, from Tony Elliott's team? Well, I think Tony Elliott it, it takes a page out of the Tony Bennett book. And if you remember mm-hmm. Tony Bennett's first couple of years, uh, they were rocky, right? Like guys were being mm-hmm. disciplined. Guys were transferring. They weren't winning a ton. And Tony Bennett didn't care. Obviously, he cared. But he had his plan, his way of doing things, and that was the way Tony was going to build that basketball program. And obviously, we know what he's done in Charlottesville, and it's been remarkable. I think Tony Elliott is of a similar mindset that, yeah, the winds aren't there, and, yeah, there's been this and there's been that, and certainly there have been things off the field that nobody could predict. And what they're dealing with now with the injury to Paris Jones, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've dealt with a lot. But I think Tony Elliott has the same resolute mindset in terms of this is how I want to build my program. We'll see if it's right or wrong, but this is the way I'm doing it, and I'm sticking with that. I think the fans are starting to come around because of how competitive they've been. I think the fans are starting to see that, okay, if nothing else, this guy isn't in over his head, right? They're right there. The team is showing improvement. They're doing some good things. Um, you know, this guy, Tony Elliott, was always going to get three or four years. Um, you know, he was hired by this athletic director, and the tragedy they went through, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to make a move on him um, unnecessarily quickly. I think this year has shown progress. I think the fans recognize it. I think they're disappointed and frustrated that things have got to, to the bottom point that they're at. But I, I think things are trending in a, a positive direction. Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch talking some ACC with us. Next transition, you do a great job of this. This is why you have a great podcast as well with David Teal. Transition right into UVA basketball since you mentioned Tony Bennett. Uh, they've gotten off to a 4-0 start, which I think we all thought they would. But what have you gleaned, if anything, considering the competition other than the Florida game, uh, from Tony Bennett's current basketball team? So they're fascinating. They're, they're so <laughs> athletic. They're so long. Um, and last night, this is a great example of what I'm talking about. Last night, a reporter asked Tony, hey, you guys had 13 steals and 10 block shots. Was this a great defensive effort? And Tony had a really insightful answer, which was, no, he thought they played badly on defense and that they needed those steals and those blocks to kind of save the day <laughs> um, because they have such great athletes, um, which that tells me two things. One, it tells me that this rebuilt roster isn't there yet in terms of how tight he wants the pack line defense to be. But it also tells me, man, when they get there, right, when that pack line is tight and they're operating kind of as one unit and they've got guys who can make those steals in the lanes and block those shots at the rim, this has the potential to be one of the best defenses he's had at UVA if he can get them to that point. So I asked this question a little bit tongue-in-cheek off of your answer, but does that mean that Ryan Dunn had a good game or not a good game last night because he led the Cavaliers in steals and blocks. Mike, is that good or bad? I'm confused now after Coach Bennett's answer. <laughs> that is great. What that means is that when other people made mistakes, Ryan Dunn <laughs> cleaned them, them up. up. Yeah. And it's, we talk about that in football sometimes, right? A linebacker who can run a guy down and save a play. And, and Ryan Dunn did a lot of that last night. Guys being out of position and Ryan getting his hands in the passing lanes. And, you know, Reese Beekman does that. And, and Dante Harris does that. They've got guys who can do that. So Tony Bennett doesn't want that. He doesn't want guys to save the day at the end. He wants them to be dialed in and right from the beginning. But it sure is a nice luxury to know that if you do get beat or you are out of a gap or you do something wrong, 
you've got some guys in that defense now who can cover up for you. All right, Virginia basketball, kind of as we expected. Pretty much the Florida game, obviously, is competitive. Oh, and let me ask you about that. Speaking of the Florida game, and has nothing really to do with how that game turned. You know where I'm headed on this. Did everybody uh, hug and kiss and shake hands and pat on the back and, and have a good time with, with, with our, our guy, Corey Alexander, or were there was there some friction there at, at, uh, at JPJ last night? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I went to say hi to Corey like two hours before the game, and I was like, I don't want to be seen with you once the crowd gets in here. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to catch that heat in case there's – but, no, it was funny. Um, you know, Ron Sanchez came over and said hi to him, and everything seemed fine and normal, and I didn't hear anything. And then in the, the waning seconds, I was finishing my game story so it could go up right when the score goes final, and I was working on, you know, on the website getting – and I just heard a fan kind of as he's leaving yell, Boo, Corey. And that was it. That was the only thing I heard was the one fan said, Boo, Corey, on his way out of the arena. Um, no, I think, you know, had Virginia lost that game um, and that call you know, would have been pivotal, I think we would have seen maybe mm-hmm. a little more. But I think the fact that they won and, and the fact that he is still a Virginia player, and, um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's water under the bridge now. And, um, you know, maybe Corey learned something from that experience. Certainly mm-hmm. Tony would do things differently in, in terms of some of his demeanor. And I think everybody will, everything will be better from that now. I hope so. Once a Cavalier, always a Cavalier, uh, I guess, could be the moral of that story moving forward. Hey, let me finish up with you, Mike, as we kind of hopscotch around, but but you alluded to and maybe you'll go to Harrisonburg tomorrow and go see JMU and App State and this whole college game day uh, thing. If you were going to Harrisonburg tomorrow, what do you think you would run into there both – off the field, and also the game that James Madison needs to play to keep this unbeaten streak alive. Yeah, but that's a great point, right? Because all of this talk across the country about JMU and the NCAA being unfair, it all starts and ends with the fact that they're undefeated. So Mm -hmm. they can lose all of that momentum and all that love if they slip up. First of all, Harrisonburg hosted game day twice as an FCS program there, and they brought in over 12,000 people uh, I saw today's show with, with Pat McAfee from the mm-hmm. quad. It looked like they had a huge crowd already. I know people who were camping out. I lived in Harrisonburg for 10 years. I know a lot of people there. It's going to be an amazing scene. They really um, they really appreciate and get excited when they get this kind of exposure. And because of the controversy, you know, JMU wants it. You know, JMU wants this to be a three-hour infomercial for how the NCAA is garbage for not letting them play in a bowl game. But then to your point, when they get out on that field, App State has spent the entire week hearing about nothing but JMU. And ESPN loves JMU, and the country loves JMU. And, boy, wouldn't App State love to to change that narrative by going in there and getting that win? I think JMU is a really good football team. I think they're going to win this game. Um, I think they've done a nice job all year of controlling and limiting the distraction. They've been focused on let's go undefeated and everything else will fall where it does. It will be interesting to see. If college game day, if the NCAA waiver denial, if everything that's come down this week, can Kurt Signetti keep them locked in on what ultimately matters, which is playing football? And interestingly enough, App State once upon a time went through the same probationary period when they made the jump from FCS to FBS. I'm sure some of their administrators know exactly what JMU is going through at this point. So I think it will be fascinating both off the field and on the field. And hey, Mike, let's finish. Let's not forget we have two unbeaten teams 
in the state. And I don't know that Liberty gets, obviously Liberty doesn't get nearly the love that JMU is getting. There have been the critics about their schedule. But, Mike, Liberty is 10-0. and They know they're playing at home in a conference championship game, and they've got a shot at a legit bowl. Yeah, it was interesting. So I covered Liberty's game this past weekend for exactly that reason. I mean, undefeated and kind of under the radar. And Jamie Chadwell kind of let it fly when I asked about him in the post game, And he said, we don't get the respect we deserve. And he said, I didn't hide that narrative from my team. He said, I, I leaned into it. I said, guys, nobody thinks you're any good. And they were getting ready to play Old Dominion, which is in the Sun Belt, just like JMU. And they said, everybody says how great the Sun Belt is and that Conference USA is garbage. And Jamie Chadwell leaned into it and said, you show everybody what you would do in the Sun Belt. Now, Old Dominion is not the best team in the Sun Belt, right? It's not James Madison. But Old Dominion has played its Sun Belt Conference schedule really tight and really competitive. Win or lose, I think they've had six one-possession games, and they're 3-3 three and three in those games. And Liberty came out from start to finish and dominated Old Dominion. So Jamie Chadwell embraced that theme of we're disrespected, and his guys answered the call. So uh, it'll be interesting to see now that JMU, if the waiver thing is done here, which it certainly feels like at this point it's time to move on and, and accept what's going on, um, where does Liberty fall in the college mm-hmm. football playoff rankings? Mm-hmm. And could they sneak in there, especially if Tulane stumbles, and get that one spot that goes to a, a group of five team? Absolutely. I think it's it's fascinating stuff, and I think it's great that we have two teams in our state, and they're not named Virginia in Virginia Tech, that are in the conversation and relevant at the end of the season, being JMU and Liberty. Love doing this today, Mike. This was great. I know it was on short notice, so I appreciate you coming on with us. Wherever you wind up tomorrow, enjoy it, and we'll enjoy reading your recap about it in the Times-Dispatch. Look forward to catching up with you before too long. Thank you, Mike. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. Mike Barber, outstanding. Uh, and their podcast is great, too, if you ever catch it. He and David Teal, who's a regular contributor on our airwaves as well, also. And they do a great uh, great podcast from the Times-Dispatch. You can take a listen to that as well. And we'll certainly have Mike back uh, several more times. But, you know, he brings up a couple of really interesting points there. And, and, again, this is all part of the bigger picture of what JMU is going through. Not that they could control it, but it does impact Liberty. Like, Liberty figured when the season started – they were playing under one set of rules and here are the teams that we're going to be looking at moving forward and JMU's not taking one of those spots um, so it really did kind of impact them indirectly what happened there and how high up can Liberty get and as Mike said Tulane is a team that you got to watch out for they're not unbeaten they're nine and one but they're probably playing a better schedule i haven't looked at it entirely but i'm pretty confident tulane playing a better schedule than liberty so all the flames can do is finish up the season unbeaten win their conference championship game and see what happens from there but it's really cool that we've got two unbeaten 10 and 0 teams with a couple weeks to go in the regular season in jmu and liberty thanks again to uh mike barber uh terrific job as we kind of did a a whirlwind about all of ACC and state action this afternoon. Way more of it than that. We're going to continue to talk about it as we preview the weekend. We'll do more after the break. ESPN Sports Center update coming at 5 o'clock. They'll have more on the Joe Burrow injury out for the year, on the Michigan decision not to fight the investigation and not to fight the suspension and all of that. We'll preview Richmond and William and Mary, the big game in Williamsburg tomorrow. All still to come on this afternoon's Sports Huddle, 106.1 ESPN.
Big Al doesn't care how the duck is prepped. I don't care if he eats raw duck. Or what anyone thinks. I don't care about what he thinks. But he does care about what you do from 8 to 10 weekday mornings. So spend that time with him on 1061 ESPN Richmond. 1061 ESPN. You know, one of the other interesting things that Mike Barber brought up was that Brennan Armstrong gets to play again against Virginia Tech. Of course, he was at UVA. Arch rival was Virginia Tech. This is still a pretty good rivalry, uh, Tech and and NC State. And Brennan did not beat uh, Virginia Tech, right, when he was when he was at UVA, right? Both UVA won both of those games. Um, lost in 2020, 33 to 15, and then in 21, 29 to 24. So he's going to get one, and of course they didn't play last year because of um, because of the stra- the, the tragedy. Uh, now he had great games. It really wasn't his fault that they lost. He threw for over 250 yards in the 2020 game and over 400 yards in the 2021 game, and now he's back. He's back as NC State's starting quarterback. Remember, he got benched there for for a game. Uh, he played uh, sparingly in a couple of other games, and then last week against Wake Forest, he was back and played the entire game. Went twelve of seventeen, pretty pedestrian numbers, uh, but he rushed for almost a hundred yards, fifteen carries, ninety six yards, and a touchdown. Uh, one of his twelve completions was a touchdown last week in their win over Wake Forest. So uh, I think you're going to see a better Brennan Armstrong tomorrow for NC State. And as much as I would like to see Tech get the six wins, I, I kind of want to see it in the last week of the season. I think that really gives that rivalry game even some more to grab onto. So I think Te- uh, State's going to win. I- I think State is going to go to Lane State. Boy, I'm an unpopular guy right now, aren't I? I'm not 100% on JMU's side. Now I'm saying NC State's going to be Tech. Uh, I think Duke's 